At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a culture filled with promises for a better life, deeper satisfaction, and greater purpose, but how do we know which is right? We invite you to join us for Smoke and Mirrors, deciphering truth in a world of truths, where we'll look to Scripture to expose the illusions of our culture, and together, hold fast to a better answer, God's. right now. So I pray that you would have our eyes continue to be fixed upon you and you alone right now. May we see you high and lifted up as you are drawing people near to yourself, as we just sung and petitioned and asked that you would draw us near to you. We love you, Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I praise you that you have, have gifted us with a team to lead us, not in a song, but to lead us to a person to lead us to our King, to lead us in obedience humbly to you, Jesus. So as we open your word right now, please speak to us. Please, by the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God, minister to our minds in a way that only you can take the credit for, in a way that only we could look back and see that it was your hand upon our lives, not the hand of Woodside, not the hand of our worship team, not the hand of a preacher, but you, Father. So right now we surrender. We surrender the things we're holding on to that are keeping us from you. We repent and let go of the things that are killing us so we can give you our undivided attention. We ask that you would speak to our eyes and give us sight. Speak to our ears and give us hearing. Speak to our hearts that it would be good ground that a seed could fall in and a harvest of righteousness, fruit that would remain would be born in our lives because of your word. So thank you today, Jesus. We love you today, Jesus. We praise you today, Jesus. We ask all of this in accordance with your perfect plan for our lives and the name, the only name given under heaven by which men would be saved, the name at which every demon would flee, the name at which every tongue will confess and every knee will bow one day is Lord of Lords and King of Kings the name of Jesus. Together we say amen and hallelujah. Let's put our hands together for our King, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right, kids, you can go to kids ministry now. Any kids need to be dismissed to kids ministry. Uh, children, thank you for worshiping with us. How many of you praise God for our kids? Come on, let's get excited. How about for a worship team that leads us to the throne every Sunday? Hallelujah. Amen. 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 As we make our way uh, to our seats, uh, I want to talk about something that we're probably a little sick of talking about by now, but it's something that we cannot miss the spiritual implications of. Somebody say, I can't miss it. <laughs> Wonderful. Last year, 2020, right? We've talked about it a lot. We've talked about it in every, uh, every direction we possibly could, but there are spiritual implications that I want to make sure we do not miss, especially as we open a new sermon series today in Ecclesiastes. And this past year contained lots and lots of surprises. Amen? Every year it contains lots of surprises, but this one definitely felt a bit abnormal. I think life as we knew it felt abnormal. Friendships began to feel abnormal. Our schedules certainly felt abnormal. The days, the weeks, the months, they began to run together. How many of you had at least one day in the last year that you didn't know what day it was when you woke up, right? 
Absolutely. I began to think that Sundays were Thursdays because I preached on Thursdays and it aired on Sundays. I had no idea what was going on. And these abnormalities that we encountered in our lives led to some irregularities in our lives, which I think led almost everyone to wonder, what's the meaning of all this? What's the purpose behind all of this? What's going on in my life? What is actually happening when it feels like everything's the same, when it feels like I don't know where I'm going, when it feels like I have no idea what tomorrow is going to bring? We ask for meaning and we ask for purpose. And I think it, you know, switching gears a little bit into levity, it reminds me of a famous movie character. I'm going to name the name of the movie character. Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about. Uh, His name in the movie was Phil Connors. Anybody know who Phil Connors was, portrayed by Bill Murray in in Groundhog Day? Come on, how many of you have ever seen Groundhog Day? Yeah, right? Where over and over and over again, he woke up and every single day was the same, right? This began to feel a little bit like 2020 for some of us, where we're like, Corona time is real. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what day it is. I wake up and every day feels like it's February 2nd. Every day sort of feels the same. And in this movie, which is totally church inappropriate, uh, so I can't play any clips, but I can, I can edit it out of my mouth. Uh, there's a great scene in the movie where he's at the bar with a couple guys, and he says, what would you do if you felt like every day was the same, you were stuck in one place, and nothing you did really mattered? One guy looks into his beer mug and says, yep, that about sums it up for me every day of my life. So now we can laugh at a movie, we can think about a year past and thank God we're on the horizon of something new perhaps, but what do you do when that, yep, that about sums it up for me statement is how you feel? What do you do or what did you do perhaps last year when it felt like everything was the same and it felt like everybody was saying the same thing? What, what did you do when you were seeking meaning and purpose in the times where we didn't really understand what was going on? Some people looked for pleasure. Some people looked to substances. Some people became DIY experts. Some people became overnight homeschoolers. Some people became money-making entrepreneurs. Some people became personal shoppers. Others turned to relationships. Many people turned to forbidden relationships. Some people really worked hard to tone their bodies. Others absolutely didn't. Amen? Absolutely. Come on. Talked about the the freshman 15. This was the COVID 20 for a bunch of folks, right? People became news junkies and armchair epidemiologists and armchair virologists and uh, political experts overnight. I I was asking people, oh, wow, you must have gone to school a lot this past year to get this degree in everything you're trying to tell me the news is telling me is exactly right. But everyone, no matter what they pressed into, was and is looking to give their life some semblance of normalcy purpose, meaning, and transcendence. And that's why we're going to start a six-week series today in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes. It's right after Psalms and Proverbs, right before the Song of Solomon and the major prophet Isaiah. We're going to cover the first 11 verses of chapter 1 today. And we're going to open this book with an introduction like this because I believe it offers a very unique perspective on human life. One that is very relevant for the church today. I think a a common misnomer and a massive mistake that the church and the world make about the church today is that the church is 
caricatured as always looking for something in the future, right? That we're only looking for uh, heaven with God. And yes, amen, that is a good thing. I think a terrible caricature of the Christian faith is God created, Jesus died on the cross, and I'm going to be in heaven with him one day, and that about sums it up. Yes, all those things are true and deeply important, but God cares deeply about how you live your life today. God cares deeply about what we are doing with the time on earth that he has given to us. Yes, we want to spend eternity in heaven with God forever. Amen? But how many of you know that eternity has already started? Eternity doesn't begin when you die. It's already started and you're going to spend it somewhere but it's already going on right now. So Solomon, who I believe wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, there's some people, theologians, who would go back and forth, but it is literally verbatim things about his life, and I think there's a very good case that he wrote. Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes. He calls himself the preacher. So uh, he kind of gives himself this title in verse 1. He says he's the son of King David, the king in Jerusalem, and the preacher. And then he begins to outline things about life. He begins to sort of unmask the myth that human autonomy and self-sufficiency is enough for us. And what he drives us into is frailty and inability and how we do not have it all figured out. Out. And this book, perhaps more than any book in the scripture, in my opinion, uniquely exposes the insanity and audacity and absurdity of a life that is detached from Jesus Christ. Because this book talks about the meaninglessness of everything done apart from God. And I think that we can, we can begin to, to resonate with this. And we're going to kind of sit in this for a little while, like we did two series ago. If you've been walking with us, we were in a series called Good Morning, where we were in the book of Lamentations, written by the prophet Jeremiah, and we wondered, is this going to get any better? It was a pretty sad series, but it was a sad book of the Bible written that way, inspired by the Holy Spirit of the living God, so that we would catch it. This book is written the same way. Twelve chapters long, but the first eleven chapters essentially say nothing matters. Everything is meaningless. So we're going to be in the first two chapters over the next five weeks, and then we're going to fast forward in week six of this series to chapter 12, where the preacher says, you need to hear your creator before it's too late. You need to fear God, and you better pay attention at the end of the matter. Now, uh, what we're going to be looking at, and a term we need to find here today, is secularism. Secularism, quickly defined for our purposes over the next six weeks, is sort of a mindset or a worldview that rejects any spiritual reality, any religious reality, right? So secularism says uh, that there is no God, but you can find purpose on your, on your own. Secularism says it's up to you to find self-belief and self-fulfillment, that you get to define your own meaning. You live out your own truth, and as you do you, just make sure that your truth never intersects with my truth, because the chief sin of secularism is telling somebody they can't do something. They can't do something, they can't be something, no matter what actually is and is fact, secularism says you get to define your reality. You get to define your meaning, you get to define your purpose, and you don't need God at all. You can do whatever you want. So as we look at secularism over the next six weeks, as we look at Ecclesiastes over the next six weeks, we need to kind of sit in it again for a little bit, church, and uh, I'm sorry if this comes as a disappointment to you, but we have to look very, very carefully at our lives to determine if I have the Christian label and lifestyle 
or if I only have the Christian label, but I live a secular lifestyle. We need to deeply examine our lives because we need to figure this out for ourselves, and the only way we can do it is actually sit in it, right? So we're going to do it today, we're going to do it next Sunday, and the Sunday after that, and it's going to be great because you need to have an answer to this. There's a pastor in Australia, his name's Mark Sayers. I think God's given him a unique insight and explanation into Western culture. And he says that Western culture likes to borrow a lot of the story of Jesus Christ, but leaves out the lordship of Jesus Christ. That Western culture, we love the kingdom, but we don't want the king. And in Western culture, secular, secularism borrows a bunch of things that you can only find in Christ. You can only really actually find meaning, purpose, significance, enjoyment, pure joy, even pleasure, real pleasure that's not just fleeting, is found in Christ alone. But secularism says you don't need God for any of that. You just live out your own truth, live your best life now, have your best life today, and everything will be fine. Do whatever makes you... Mm, amen. Right, all right, you get it. I don't have to teach you all about secularism anymore, right? Our entire culture is built on this idea. Our entire culture around us is built on the ideas that faith is uh, too narrow-minded and too evil, so let's cancel it. That the family defined in the Bible is too defined by oppression and, and sexism and bigotry, so we need to redefine what family looks like. In his book, Pastor Mark Sayers this book is called Reappearing Church. It's an amazing book, really, really good book. He, he has this quote that I want to read to us. It says this, The whole of contemporary Western culture, from the structure of our malls and cities to the very fabric of the internet and social media platforms, are ideologies that shape us toward a vision, not rooted in the eternal, but in the unlimited freedom and pleasure of the individual. But in the unlimited freedom and pleasure of the of the individual. Does that sound familiar today in 2021, church? So this book was written thousands of years ago, inspired by the Holy Spirit of the living God, in my opinion, again, penned by King Solomon. And we fall into the exact same wrong answers found in the wrong places for thousands of years. The same thing that the preacher's going to warn us against today, many of us are going to walk out and live it out today. So this, this is the reality of where we live today. This is the reality of culture. This is the reality of having the label of Christian, but the lifestyle of a secularist. The lifestyle of I'm going to go do whatever I want and whatever makes me feel good because I'm going to live my best life now. That's the lifestyle that many of us are going to walk out today living. But my prayer is that maybe just one more of us might have a label of a Christian and a lifestyle of a Christian today. That we would actually walk out what the Bible actually says. The age-old search for meaning continues on, and that's what we're going to be looking at over these next six weeks. One of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis is this. Human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. Human history is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. The author, the preacher, King Solomon, in my opinion, in verse 1, again, we get his identity. Whether it's Solomon or not, his life is verbatim explained here, so I'm just going to move forward and preach from that direction. And what he's doing over these next 11 verses is encouraging us to reject this idea reject this secular worldview and make God the focal point of our lives. So again, for six weeks, we're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes looking at the end of the matter, finally, is what Solomon says in chapter 12, to hear your creator before it's too late and to fear 
God. So we've given this series the title Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth with a capital T in a world of truths with lowercase t. Smoke and Mirrors, Deciphering Truth in a world full of truths. We're going to expose the illusions of secularism. We're going to expose the empty promises that the world offers us all the time, whether it's on the TV, the radio, with uh, conversations we have, with advertisers that tell us what we need. We're going to expose all this and find real meaning in the midst of the madness. So today, we're going to be in the first 11 verses. Does everyone have their Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 1? Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible to church today, I would encourage you to go to the Connect desk where Mike is holding up a Bible. Uh, take that with you. That's yours today. I want you, you need a Bible. You need God's word more than you need Pastor Ryan's word. Amen? All right. And if you are beyond like row 9, you can't read what's on here. So don't nod your head like you can. I sat back in every seat to see, and I've got good eyesight, okay? So I don't want you to be like, mm-hmm, preacher, I'm, I'm listening, and you've got Instagram open on your phone, okay? So I just want you to know I know, all right? The secret's out. But that's okay. I still love you. There's grace for all this, right? So we're going to look at the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 today because we need to answer a question. The question that Solomon is asking is simple. Why does nature repeat itself? Why does nature repeat itself? This might not sound like a big deal for us to answer, but this is one we absolutely need to have answered. Why does life seem to go round and round? What is the point of it all? Is there even a purpose or a meaning to this? Is there a direction to life? Or is this what the scientists tell us? It's just a, a random collection of moments and randomness and the order of nature unfolding, and it doesn't matter what we think, say, or do, it's all just going to unfold fold. I think the first place we need to go is directly into Solomon to figure out who he is a little bit. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on who Solomon was, but because of who Solomon was, it, there is deep insight offered here. Now, if you know anything about Solomon's history, you know that he had a life that was marked by faith, whether he wanted one or not, because he was the son of Israel's greatest king, because he was next in line of a throne that would never end, of a kingdom that God said would have no end. Now, things started off okay and I believe that Solomon's heart was pure toward the Lord and the Lord knew that as well and the Lord wrote this story throughout sacred scripture which we see primarily unfolding in first Kings chapter 3 and 4 where he came to Solomon and he said whatever you want I'm going to give it to you now God is not a genie amen all right whatever you some people didn't say amen because they're like for real that's why I'm coming here today that's why that's literally why I'm here right so he said whatever you want I'm going to give it to you and Solomon asked for wisdom that's right it said God fills him with wisdom. When God fills you with something, that's a lot. So Solomon had a lot of wisdom. Chapter 4 said that people came from all over the world to hear for themselves the genius of his wisdom. We have it written down for us in Proverbs, Song of Songs, and I believe Ecclesiastes. But all this wisdom that God filled Solomon with paled in the face of temptations, unfortunately. Solomon was tempted with secularism, hedonism, materialism, individualism, and every other ism, and so on, and so on, and so on. And Solomon traded the wisdom of God for the idolatrous foolishness of the world. He accumulated more money than any king in Israel's history. He violated the laws and commands of God without hesitation. He pursued whatever pleasure he thought felt right to him. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That just sounds like a headache, amen? Good job, husbands who didn't say amen. Well done. Y'all are paying attention. This is good. I want to make sure I don't trick y'all, right? Okay? 
All right, real good. But what did all that intellect gain him? What did all this wealth gain him? What did all this pleasure gain him? Satisfaction? Contentment? Did he have it all? Did he say, I'm living my best life now? Did it give his life meaning and purpose? Let's look at what verse 2 says. What's he say? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What's this mean, right? So his quest for power and pleasure and purpose apart from God ends up destroying his kingdom, not God's kingdom. Somebody say, not God's kingdom. God's kingdom is indestructible, will never end, and God will be ruling and reigning forever, but it destroyed Solomon's kingdom. His quest for these things destroyed Solomon's kingdom when he began to seek them apart from God. Because one generation later, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the the whole nation split. The kingdom split into two. How many of you have been part of a church split before? It's deeply painful, isn't it? This is an entire nation, right? This is the entirety of Israel split into the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. It all comes crashing down. And then he kind of gives this big idea for the book of Ecclesiastes when he says vanity of vanities. Now, we're not going to go too deep into the Hebrew, but the form is called superlative, which means almost like an exaggeration or a a never-ending exaggeration. So when we hear holy of holies, that means the holiest place on earth. When we hear song of songs, that means the best song ever written by Solomon. When he says hevel of hevels, which is vanity of vanities, he says it's as meaningless as meaningless can possibly be. Everything is utter meaningless. As meaningless as as possible. Vanity is used 38 times in these 12 chapters. And the definition is it's a wisp of vapor. It's a breath. It's something that is there for a moment and then gone. The word picture created in the Hebrew definition is if you tried to grab it, it would slip out of your fingers. It was just vanish. That it is utterly meaningless. And then the Hebrew definition is the nearest thing to zero. Solomon absolutely had the label of faith on his life, but he lived without it. Solomon's life looked like God mattered to him, but there came a moment where he decided to chase the world and its good, and he lived like God did not matter at all. So many have the label of Christian, but the lifestyle of a secularist. We're going to talk about this over and over again today, church, because if you're getting mad, it might be you, okay? We need to pay attention. We need to listen very carefully. So Solomon says it's all meaningless. None of it matters. And everyone, along with Solomon, who lives a lifestyle with a label of Christian, but the lifestyle of secularist, we all realize one day, none of it matters. None of the things that we can accrue in this world matter. Uh, If I have money in my pocket, it has a funny way of making its way out of my pocket. Amen? Right? It comes, it goes. This is just what it is. So what's the point? What Solomon is saying, what is the point of all this? Secularism doesn't deliver on its promises. The world is offering empty promises. He didn't find contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, meaning. Everything is utterly meaningless. So what's he mean by that? Does he mean God is meaningless? Does he mean a life lived for God is meaningless? Does he mean godliness is meaningless? He doesn't really seem to be in a hurry to answer these questions for us. He spends 11 chapters, and again, we have to sit in it, because we need to understand what exactly it is he's talking about, what exactly it is that we could be chasing that is meaningless. Because if the most wise man to ever walk the earth, the richest king in a nation's history, someone with 700 wives and 300 concubines, a massive army, says it's all meaningless, I think we need to pay attention. So the answers that he looks for 
path after path that he traverses, question after question that he asks, the question that he's getting to right away is, why does nature seem to repeat itself? Verse 3 is the first key that I want to offer you to unlock the treasure of Ecclesiastes. So verse 3 says this, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? We need a couple definitions, but what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? First, the word gain here is yithron in Hebrew, which only shows up in Ecclesiastes. That this is a word that is unique to Ecclesiastes. It means what profit or advantage or excellency can be added to a man from all of his toil, labor, work, that's what that word means, under the sun. Under the sun is used 30 times in Ecclesiastes, and it means life lived apart from God. Under the sun is just a naturalist way to look at the world, because under the sun is also under heaven. But he's just saying under the sun. So let's redefine it for us today, right? What good, what profit could I possibly get for all this work that I'm doing on the earth? How many of you have ever asked that question at work? Come on, let's be honest, right? What am I doing here? Why am I here? What is going on? So when we understand that this is what Solomon is asking, and then we understand just before that he said, it's all meaningless. It's vanity of vanities. Why does nature repeat itself? If this world is all there is, then what's the point of my existence? If all my education and all my money and all my love and all my trophies that I gain and earn is all there is, but it doesn't bring me a net gain... Why am I even here? What is the point of all this if nothing ever really changes? That if we continue on and on and on, and that's just life. That when you box God out, when you lock God out, when we close God out, when we live our lives under the sun, apart from God, it's all meaninglessness. It's all empty. And I know, again, this is relatively hard for us to hear. But we have to figure this out. Whether or not you're passively ignoring God or actively disobeying him or denying him, everything we do apart from God is worthless. Everything we do apart from God is meaningless. Because if this is all we're left with, if naturalism and secularism is all we're left with, then it's just a combination of time plus chance plus matter, and we're all here on July 25th, 2021 by accident. How could that be? What kind of worth and value does that offer to your life? If you're just here, one happy accident after the other. Do you see how crazy that sounds? Do you see how empty this sounds? Do you see how worthless our lives become if that's all it is? This is what Solomon is getting to. This is what he's saying when he says vanity of vanities. And he's not asking a unique question, what does man gain? Right? This is a question that was also asked by God himself when he walked the earth. Jesus. What did he say in Mark chapter 8? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And what's the answer? Nothing. Let's try it again. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Some of you are still not convinced. Just shout nothing real loud and we'll move on. All right, real good. I just want to make sure you got that. So we can go ahead and chase and buy and sell and trade and accrue and store and share all the toys on earth, whatever it is we want to grab, but everything you have one day is going to end up in the junkyard. 
all the clothes we're all wearing right here one day is going to be torn to shreds. The seats you're sitting on are going to end up in the junkyard. The floor you walked in on, the car you drove in is going to end up in the junkyard one day. So when Jesus says, what does it gain a man to profit the, or to, to gain the whole world but lose his soul? The answer is nothing. This world system promises us everything. All you got to do is turn on TV real quick, turn on the radio real quick, and you'll get some toothpaste that'll make your teeth whiter than ever. You'll get some cologne that will make you irresistible to the ladies. You'll, you'll have skin so soft that uh, you'll be laying in a bath of milk. Have you seen those commercials? I'm like, that doesn't even look attractive. Like, that doesn't even sound good or feel good, right? But it's just the way of the world, right? You get promised all these things, but you end up with nothing. Nothing at the end do we get to take with us. Only that which is done for Christ will last, right? And maybe your answer to Jesus when he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? He forfeits his soul. And, and maybe your question, because you're real spiritual, is, well, I'm just here to make the world a better place, Jesus. That I'm going to gain a bunch of stuff, and then I'm going to pass on my legacy. There's only one legacy that's ever going to last, friends. Every other legacy is going to fade away. Only one legacy is ever going to last, and his name is Jesus Christ. Right? That is the only one that's ever going to last. It's the only place our life will ever find meaning, and the preacher understands this, right? Solomon, the wisest man to walk the earth, understands this. So let's read together the last eight verses here, verse 4 through 11, as we get a little bit deeper to the answer of this question, why does nature repeat itself? Starting in verse 4, chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens or retreats. To the place where it rises from. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. So as we hear Solomon go on this seemingly sounds like a rant of these three natural illustrations and these three things in our lives that mirror a natural illustration. He says, in every case, there are changes, but in every case, nothing changes. That nature repeats itself. The wind blows, but then it goes back around and it blows again. All streams lead to the ocean, kind of like all nuts roll to Florida. You've heard that one before? No, you guys never heard that one? Okay, all right. It's just, yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> Nothing changes, but everything's seeming to change. It's like we're stuck in a hamster wheel. It's like we're running and running and running and running and running and never getting anywhere. It's like we're on the treadmill of life, just giving it everything we got. And then we stop and we look up and we're like, I'm right where I started. I am right back where I started. A great preacher and theologian from uh, the great state of Ohio. Amen? O-H? Nobody. Wow. Jesus, help us. Okay, Alistair Begg, he's a great preacher and theologian. I actually had somebody say I.O. in the first service. Can you believe that? When I said O.H., they said I.O. People were cheering, right? 
Don't worry, Ohio, Michigan, Michigan State, they're all going to fade away. They're all meaningless, all right? They're all meaningless, even on the heels of football season. It's all meaningless. Okay, so <laughs> great preacher Alistair Begg says this. He says, yes, we put a man on the moon, but all that there was to do for him there was stare at the earth. It's all meaninglessness. If we do anything apart from God, it's all meaninglessness. So why does nature repeat itself? Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, asked these questions like, what does it all matter? What's the purpose? Why am I doing all this if I'm just running and running and running and running and I just don't ever get anywhere? How am I supposed to look at my life? How am I supposed to understand any of this? And as we look at this in our own lives, what are you going to do tomorrow, right? Well, let's, let's make this personal in our own lives. How many of you are going to do the dishes tomorrow? How many of you are going to do the dishes on Tuesday? Wednesday, I see a couple of people with deep frowns on their face, but their hand is still up. They're like, I know where this is going. I do this my whole life. How many of you are going to do laundry tomorrow? How many of you are going to cook food tomorrow? Cut the grass. How many of you are going to go to work tomorrow? Go to school tomorrow, right? We're going to do all these things, and none of these things are necessarily a problem, except if you do them apart from God, then they are all utterly meaninglessness. It's all meaninglessness. What do we do, though, when we have the Christian label on our life, but we live a secular lifestyle? Let's make it a little bit more personal. How many of you are going to be striving inappropriately for intimacy tomorrow? Don't worry, don't raise your hand. How many of you are going to maybe call or text that man or that woman that you know you're not supposed to tomorrow? How many of us are going to pick up a certain kind of substance that we know doesn't do anything for us tonight? We don't even have to get to tomorrow. How many of us are going to strive for more possessions to fill our garage and our basement up so when the neighbors see it, they'll think we're better than them? This is the reality of our lives. And when we strive for things apart from God, it's all worthless because it's all just going to go away. The wind's all going to return. The water's all going to return. This is what life looks like when you're toiling for yourself. This is what life looks like when you're laboring apart from God. This is what life looks like when creation forgets its creator. That we have to sit in this and we have to examine and evaluate our lives for real. Really getting there saying, is what I'm doing worth it? Is my life meaningful? And if it's apart from God, the answer is no. And it's hard, and it's scary, and it's painful. Now, does that mean that Jesus doesn't care about you? Absolutely not. There is hope here. There is meaning here. Because there's a but. One of the most important words in all of Scripture is but. When Solomon says all of this is meaningless, all of this is vanity of vanities, it is as meaningless and purposeless as meaninglessness and purposelessness can possibly be. But our view of life can change when we recognize who we are and who God is, that we are created by a creator that loves us. And it's a very simple big idea for us today. God is the creator. Now, it may sound like it's unrelated, but when we get caught up in the illusion that I can create my own life, when we get caught up in the illusion that if I just live out my truth, the life that I want for myself can happen, that's discarding God as our creator. The big idea we need to understand today is that God is the creator. And when we live under the sun with the understanding that we also live under heaven, 
then our life can begin to have a little bit of meaning. Then the things we do can begin to have a little bit of meaning. Then we can find that nature does have movement, that life does have purpose, that history is going somewhere. But if you were going to wake up and go to work tomorrow and the job you've been at for 17 years and the job you've hated for 17 years and you have never gained anything for the kingdom of heaven at that job and God is not invited to your job, you need to be paying attention, church. We need to be paying attention. Now, I'm not saying... That workplaces that, are, that have animosity towards Christ, you're not supposed to work in. What I am saying is you're the one who's supposed to bring him there, right? That you going to that job, you're the one who's supposed to bring God there. If you're going to continue to come to this church and say, there's nobody like me at this church, you're the one who's supposed to invite them to this church. You don't just come to consume. You don't just come to find friendships and people at Club Woodside that I can hang out with, right? People where I can just say, oh, I just want to come here and sit back for 45 minutes, maybe 55 if Pastor Ryan's going to start yelling at me this Sunday, but then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go to Applebee's and I'm going to forget it all. Then we're missing it. We have to understand the meaninglessness of so much that we all do. And I know it's hard for us today. But there is so much meaninglessness in all of our lives, friends. But we've been so blinded by the world that we live in. This is exactly why Paul said, be in the world, but not of the world. We need to be undiscipled of the world. We are all very good disciples in this world. Because of the malls and the cities, remember the quote, because social media and our jobs and money and all these things that the world throws at us, we have somewhere along the line believed the lie that that defines us. Even people that are great and godly, well-intentioned Christians, we can fall into that, can't we? Amen? I know it's hard, but we got to get there. We have to understand what Solomon is saying here. This is the best I can do for you, okay? This is the very best I can give you, is the real truth of the Bible. When we live under the sun, recognizing we also live under heaven, then we understand that life has purpose. We understand that nothing is an accident. Nothing is happenstance, that everything is being watched over by God because point number two, God has a plan for the world. And if God has a plan for the world, that means God has a plan for you. Whoever you are, Whatever you've been through, whatever you did last night that you still smell like or are beating yourself up for today, God has a plan for you, whatever it is. Now, we got to hear that today. We got to hear on one hand, everything is meaningless, but on the other hand, God has a plan. Amen? Christianity looks at the world completely differently. Solomon, the preacher here, talked about creation without talking about the creator. The creator is the one who created the earth and sustains the earth and sustains your life. He's the one who manages all things that happen in the earth and the one who manages your life. There's progression because God has a purpose. There's movement because God has a mission. The Christian story said God created everything and it was good but how often do we complain about everything we see around us right God has a purpose for all of this God created and it was good it was purposefully created he created humanity Adam and Eve and what did they do they did the same exact thing we do I hear a lot of people beat up Adam and Eve and I'm like well you're not a whole lot different right than Adam and Eve right I hear a lot of people beat up the Pharisees I'm like okay church folks we are the Pharisees like we got to understand that what Adam and Eve do? They said, we want the kingdom without the king. Simple. They said, the king told us, here's the laws that uh, are operating in this garden, in this kingdom. Don't eat of that tree. The whole rest of everything, have fun, go wild, go crazy. 
And then what did they do? They wanted the kingdom without the king. They wanted the kingdom without the lordship of God in their life. That is how so many of us want to live. We're like, we want all the benefits of being Christian, but you better not tell me what to do, Jesus. You better not tell me what to do, pastor. You better not tell me what to do, Christian community. How dare you try to correct some of my behaviors? Well, because you're dying and you're going to hell because of it, right? That as we look at these things, we've got to figure this stuff out, church. You've got to think about your job. You've got to think about the relationship that you are continuously pursuing that you know only leads to hell. You've got to think about the things that we add to our lives because we want to feel good about ourselves. When Jesus is like, I created you and I have a plan for you and I want to give you every good and godly thing that I've ever created and it's all for you. And if you woke up every day and said, God, Dad, how do you want to bless me today watch how different your life will look than if you wake up and you say oh what's going to go wrong today we've got too many eeyores running around right you, when we have jesus in our heart when we are following jesus christ yes there is still difficulty in the world yes there is pain in the world yes there is sin and death and hell and rebellion but we win the king wins the kingdom goes on and we are the ones who inherit it but we forget it because we believe in the world and we love the world too much now, we're supposed to have love for the world. We're not supposed to be in love with the world. So from Genesis 3 on and on and on, they live in the kingdom. They don't want the king, and it's Groundhog's Day over and over again. It's Groundhog's Day playing out over and over again. God keeps pursuing. Humanity keeps failing over and over and over again. Will things ever change? Is there any meaning to this? Is there any purpose to this? Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, but friends, there was one thing that was new under the sun, and I want to talk to you about this thing that was new under the sun one day, and this thing was as it was a radical event as redemptive history moved forward. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word of God himself, God in the flesh, the creator of the world, entering into the world, and now there is something new under the sun. Jesus is the only one that stands apart from all created order. He's the only one who's ever been here apart from all created order, and that's why Jesus says to the Jews, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, meaning you live under the son i am not of this world jesus gives something new he grants you something new he grants you yes you every one of you every one of us something new when he gives you a new word that you don't have to be trapped in the thing that you've been running in you don't have to be stuck in the hamster wheel anymore that god is giving us something new jesus gives you a new word when he says if you continue in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth shall set you Come on, church, you got to help me preach this, right? Jesus offers a new birth in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again. Come on, you got to help preach if you know what this is. Everybody needs to hear this. Then he establishes a new covenant in Luke 22 when he says, this is my body and I broke it for you. This is my blood and I shed it for you. And if you do this, many times that you do this in remembrance of me, you are proclaiming my coming because I'm coming back because I love you, because I want you. Jesus offers you new life, life that has actually conquered death when he establishes this new covenant, when he dies on the cross in Matthew 28. And because of this new age that Jesus has ushered in, John gets to see a new heaven and a new earth. And he gets to be in the throne room where God says to him, behold, I am doing something new. A new heaven and a new earth are being created as redemptive history progresses, friends. There's new events. There's new realities. 
There's new truth that can be true for your life. Truth is truth is truth, and it can never change if it's actually true, but you can actually believe it to be true. There's a new hope. God will make all things new. And even though people gain nothing from all their toil, all their work, all their labor apart from God, the Apostle Paul says through Jesus Christ there is much to be gained for your toil. Why? In 1 Corinthians 15 he says, in Christ your labor is not in vain. Now if we believe this, if we really believed this church, you would never have a meaningless day again. You would never have a purposelessness, purposeless day again. You would never look at any situation in your life and say this has no meaning. Because when you live under the sun and you know you live under heaven as well, everything has purpose. Everything has meaning. All the pain you've ever been through has meaning. All the stuff that you went through to get here today all the mess, all the broken relationships, all the hellishness that we gladly put onto our own lives has a purpose and it has a meaning. As the worship team comes back up, we're going to celebrate in, in just a second here. I, I know it may not sound celebratory right now, but it's going to get there. Amen. Don't hang up on me, okay? None of your labor is in vain if it is with God, if it is in Christ. There can actually be something new for your life. And you know what the problem is? The problem is we don't believe it. The problem is we, we believe this is who we are, this is how it is, and nothing can ever change. I promise you, if you give your whole life over to Jesus, and I'm talking to everybody who's saved too, but really give your life over to Jesus, not just your eternity, your living, right? Your life that you're living right now. There's a lot of people that are saved that are going to heaven, in my opinion, but are not living like it today. Christian label, secular lifestyle, but if we really believe this, friends, everything can change. If we really believe this, this whole church will change, the east side of Pontiac will change, Oakland County will change, Michigan will change, I believe it all. I believe that this can change the entire world with just a couple of folks. I don't know if I got a couple people in here that really believe this today. Just, just like two people that really believe this can change the entire universe. And I believe that with all my heart. That's why I'm standing up here sweating, looking like a fool in front of you guys, right? When we believe that God has a plan for the world, it means God has a plan for you in Christ, only in Christ. When we believe Ephesians 1, really, that in Christ we're chosen, we're loved, we're adopted, we're redeemed from all of our foolishness, from all of our secular lifestyle, that we have been given the riches of God, that in creation we join together with heaven and on earth, brought together in unity, that we've received an inheritance, that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of the living God for his kingdom, for salvation, that our life is going to go according to God and the counsel of his will. He is doing it for us, that he has a purpose for you, that he has a plan for you, that you are his workmanship created before the foundation of the world to do good works you're not just built for the hamster wheel you're not just built to run on the treadmill of life and then die one day and, and wonder what do you have to show for it God of the God of the universe created you the God of the universe has a plan for your life I want us all to stand up come on it's time to get off the treadmill church it's time to get out of the hamster wheel church it's time to get up on your feet and believe it for yourself that it's not Groundhog's Day anymore that you get to live a new day 
today, that you can have a new life in Christ Jesus, that you can commit your heart to Christ today. You can commit your life, your job, your car, your marriage, your kids, your friends, everything to Jesus today. Commit it all to Jesus today. That's how you get out of the hamster wheel. That's how it's time for a new thing. That's how it's time for a new day. That's how it's time to believe that everything that you've ever been through mattered. Everything you've ever gone through, there was a good and godly purpose behind it. It's time for a change. It's not time for another transaction. It's time for transformation. It's time for faith to take a hold of you. Real faith to take a hold of you. It's time for confession today, church, to confess and let that wash over you that I have been chasing hell for far too long, that I'm ready to sprint towards heaven, that the things that I've been doing that didn't matter, that were meaninglessness over my life, I'm done with that, and I'm confessing. It's time to let God turn the page of your life. It's time for you to follow God's plan instead of your own. Somebody say, not my own plan. Come on, not my own plan anymore. It's time for you to see that God is moving. He's moving in you. He's moving through you. He's moving around you. He's moving in the earth. He's moving at your job everywhere. He's moving. And I want us to get out of the way. Somebody just shout, get out of the way. And you're talking to yourself. God is moving. Will you get out of his way? Will you let him do something in your life? Will you say yes, Jesus, and whatever he offers you? Perhaps for some of you, that's salvation today. Perhaps for some of you, you have never put your faith, hope, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because you were scared or because Christians were whack, whatever it is. Today's the day because Jesus is real, and he is here, and he wants to do something in your life. He wants to do something in your world because God has a plan. That means he has a plan for you. So today, right now, we're going to celebrate, church. Now, I want to help you celebrate. We're going to worship, and we're going to sing a song that, that goes like this. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endureth forever. I want just like five people in here to sing it like they believe it today, right? To actually say, Lord, you are good, and yes, there's a good plan for my life, and yes, you can do a new thing in my life, and yes, I can get off the treadmill. Yes, I can get out of the hamster wheel. Jesus, do it in my life today. Do it right now for me. Right now, Jesus, you see me. You know me. You love me. Make this prayer your prayer. Make this song your song. Make this worship of your king be authentic as we proclaim his goodness, as we proclaim that he's the only one that can give life any meaning. Let's trust him today. In the name of Jesus, we say amen, and we shout hallelujah. Put your hands together for your king as we celebrate. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.